So first I'm reading from Daniel chapter 12, verses, 11 to, verses 1 to 7, which you'll find on page 896 of the Blue Church Bibles. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. Second reading from Philippians chapter 3, which you'll find on page 1180 of the Blue Church Bibles. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who who are the circumcision who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise today. Uh, thank you that we can, we can come to you by the cross, uh, that our very hope rests in you, that our righteousness is not found in ourselves, but it is found in you. Uh, Father, you are so loving towards us. Uh, you are so gracious towards us. You are present with us still. You are here with us. So, Father, we pray that you would, you would speak to us, you would make things clear to us as we open up your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> One day, a mother uh, takes her son to a psychiatrist uh, because um, she didn't know what to do with her son's, well, extreme personality. You see, this boy was too optimistic for his own good. Send him to the psychiatrist. The psychiatrist, what he does was, well, well, let's, let's see, let's see how, how serious the problem is. And what he does is he takes this boy and brings him to this room that's filled with manure. Filled to the brim with manure. Brings the kid in. The kid opens the door, goes inside and says, Woo! Eyes lights up. In he goes. He's digging into the manure, right? And the psychiatrist is going, what is going on? What are you doing? And the boy stops digging just for a moment, looks up and says, well, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> wow. Now, this, this is actually one of those jokes that uh, President Reagan used to tell. And he, he used to tell it so much that it kind of marked his entire presidency to the point where if anything kind of went wrong during his time, uh, one of his staffers would come into him and say, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. How about that? Well, as we've been reading through Philippians, have you ever wondered whether Paul is a little bit too optimistic for his own good? I mean, he's in chains. The, the Philippians, well, uh, they're experiencing the same kind of suffering that we find out. And there's more opposition he's facing than he can poke a stick at. And he says, chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. 4, verse 1 says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. He was rejoicing in chapter 1 because Christ is preached and rejoices at the thought of sacrificing himself for them. Remember that? He prays with joy. He encourages their joy in the faith. He wants to make them his joy complete. They themselves are his joy and crown. We find out in chapter 4. Is Paul just this unrealistic uh, optimist looking for the pony in the pile of manure. I actually think the opposite. I actually think that he is, well, the, uh, he is the optimistic realist. He's actually onto something very real. Philippians has, uh, has been all about co-workers, confident in Christ. And that confidence in Christ draws together Christians to advance the gospel, valuing each other as we do it. And today, I want to show you that this confidence in Christ, well, it brings joy to us. 
as we partner together amidst opposition. Now, what we're going to do is, uh, during the course of the day, we'll, we'll check out what the opposition is about, first of all, and then we're going to see what all this rejoicing is all about, second, okay? So in your leaflets, <clears throat> there should be an outline there. Come and follow me. Uh, make sure your Bibles are open in Philippians because we're going to try and follow through chapter 3 and chapter 4. So let's have a look at what we're facing. Who are these enemies of the cross of Christ, as Paul calls them in chapter 3? Well, in 3 verse 2, he calls them dogs. I mean, you know, uh, I don't think there's actually any culture uh, who would think that being called a dog is a good one. I don't think that's really a, uh, a compliment. Uh, even if you said it really nicely, uh, you're such a lovely dog. How pretty a dog are you? I, mean, I don't think there's any culture that I know of, and I've been to a few, uh, who would take that as a, as a compliment. Especially when they're also described as evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And verse 3, well, it gives us a clue that these, these people, they're the ones who are calling themselves the circumcision. So they are the ones who are insisting that if anyone wants to be called a person of God, well, then, well, what they had to do was they had to bear the sign uh, that marked out God's people in the Old Testament. Uh, and so what happened was that uh, every male having some sensitive skin cut off, you want to know more about that, go ask your dad, uh, as a sign of God's covenant promises to his people, both the blessings and the curses. That's what marked out God's people. Well, when Jesus came along, we find out that all that, uh, the circumcision, the cutting, was actually pointing to the real circumcision and that of the heart, that of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who circumcises our heart, according to Romans 2. So now, the real sign of a person of God is not just cutting off of some flesh, but instead the presence of God's Spirit, whom Christ gives. That's why Paul can say in verse 3, it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. You see, these dogs, uh, they were ignoring the real sign and insisting on the old sign. And so they were persuading people to put their confidence in the flesh. Stop looking at Jesus and just make sure you've got the right marks on your body. That's effectively what they were saying. These guys... Uh, actually, there's a bit of irony here because these guys, uh, they would actually call the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, dogs. They're the ones who actually start using these terms. So Paul is kind of using a little bit of irony here. He's saying, well, actually, you've got to realize that we are the circumcision. We are the people of God according to God, according to Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that the enemies of the cross... Uh, who are threatening the Philippians. They weren't just the policemen of the day, you know, the law keepers of the day, uh, but people who had a faulty view of Christianity. They had a faulty view of Christianity. Now, um, if you ever met my children, and, and uh, they apologize for not being able to come up here, uh, but if you ever met my children, uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to take a little bit of a second step because they don't, always, they don't look a whole lot like me. Uh, they, they may look a little bit like, uh, like my wife, Jenny, um, but they don't bear a whole lot of resemblance uh, to the point where I go, how, how do, where did you get your resemblance from? I know it's from Jenny and stuff. But the one thing that I managed to pass on, the man, one thing that I managed to pass on with my dimples. So they knew 
that they were daddy's kids because they had my dimples. So much so that my youngest one, Jordan, he's got actually three sets of dimples. Dimples, dimples lie strongly in the Leo household. Now, wouldn't it be funny if someone said, well, I'd like to be part of the Leo clan. And so they picked up a marker and they, they kind of poked two little, two little dots in their face and said, we got dimples too, so we're part of the Leo family. No, no, no. You can't make yourself part of the Leo family uh, just by giving yourself dimples. You've got to like curry as well. All right. You got curry, you're in. Well, the, these guys here, these enemies, well, they were insisting on more than just dimples, right? <laughs> but we are citizens of heaven <clears throat> because of Christ, <clears throat> because of the spirit who is within us, not by any marks on our bodies, but by Christ. I just think it's a bit of a masterstroke uh, of God, actually, to save a person like Paul. Because Paul knew all their sneaky tricks. Uh, because he used to think like them. In fact, he thought more like them than they did themselves. So you want to boast in your flesh, do you? Well, Paul could do that quite well and more. There was his lineage. He was a true Israelite, a person of God with the right family line. So you have a look in verse 5. He says, he is circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was no outsider who joined up late uh, or a forgotten family member of an obscure clan. No, he had royal blood, so to speak, in his veins. When they said the name Paul of Tarsus, they said it with due respect and honor. Paul could have boasted in his lineage. He could have also boasted in his achievements. So verse 5 goes on to say, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. He was meticulous with following every aspect of God's law and then some. Uh, like the hundred of commands uh, that the Israelites have added to God's law, he would follow each and every one to the letter. Uh, he was trained under a very respected Pharisee named Gamaliel. Uh, he, was like, he was like the Navy SEALs of the Jewish religion. Disciplined, trained, he got things done, even tracking down those pesky Christians who were threatening the fabric of society. He would track them down and eliminate them. That, that was the extent of his zeal for God. If you wanted to boast in your actions, in your markings, well, Paul could do it better. When they said the name of Paul of Tarsus, they didn't just say it with respect. They said it with fear. These enemies, they had nothing on him. Paul could out-boast them if he wanted to. Instead, what he does instead is that he boasts in knowing Christ Jesus. So verse 7, whatever he thought was worth having before, he now thinks it's loss for the sake of Christ. He goes on further in verse 8, says, Everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we're not just talking here about knowing the name of Jesus or knowing and seeing him, but actually relating to him. 
And if that doesn't make his point, he says all that stuff that he used to value heaps, it's all skubala. Uh, that's that's the, the word in the original language. You see, they, they kind of went all polite uh, in this translation here because they called it garbage. But the word, the original word actually means more than garbage. It actually means, well, manure. It means dung. It means poo. So to be sensitive to your senses, uh, I'm just going to call it skubala. Uh, it's as close as you're going to get to a pastor swearing. Uh, you know when you're boys and you're thinking about, you know, kind of learning a new language? What's, what's the first thing you kind of learn? Yeah, this is what the first thing you kind of learn. Uh, and all of Paul's family rights, what does he say? It's skubala. All of his achievements, skubala. Everything else that competes, <clears throat> skubala. <clears throat> Verse 8, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 8, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Are you getting the point? Knowing Christ is the only thing that is worth it, the only thing that is treasure, according to verse 10. Because trusting in Jesus is the only way to be right with God. Circumcision isn't going to do it, nor having the right ancestry, nor having the zeal even to the point of killing Christians. Knowing Christ is the only way to be raised from the dead like Jesus, having eternity with him. No joke. Paul went through the manure and he found that pony. There is treasure there. And he's putting all his energy, he, put, he says, he's putting all his energy into it, striving for this resurrection, living out what he already has. Uh, sometimes I kind of wonder how it, is that, how it is that people in those days could see the dung, the skubala, and think that it is actually attractive, that it smells nice. How could it be? And when I think of us, I think, uh, well, we're kind of no foreigners to this temptation either, actually. Uh, this is a church plant uh, of Trinity, which means that likely lots of people here are putting lots of work and energy and thought and time and energy into making this work to make sure this is put on every week. And this is not the only thing that gets put on during the week. We heard about the, the prayer night. We heard about the other things like the youth program that happens here. And likely, it means that there's lots of people who are just working really hard. Keep going, guys. Keep going, guys. But realize that those things don't make you a Christian. Even though you woke up today at 6 in the morning to make sure that the chairs are out, to make sure that that trailer is out, that doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you kind of got all your energy together to be able to work with, with, with the youth and make sure that they're learning about Jesus too, that doesn't make you a Christian. It'd be really easy to think at the end of, the, of a Sunday to think once you've, put out, once you've packed up that last you know, A-frame, when you, when you park that, uh, that, that trailer in the, in, the, in the backyard, when you put away everything, set up the room again and thought, God must be really pleased with me. No, no, no. No, we're not saved by that at all. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. 
The only reason why God looks down upon us and smiles is because he sees Jesus and he can't help it. He sees his son and he says, woohoo! And he sees all these people, his adopted children, stuck onto Jesus and he says, I'm pleased with them too. Friends, there will always be threats to the gospel. There will always be people who try and add things to what we believe, to to, uh, to Jesus, actually, they'll say things like, well, you're not baptized, or you're not saved. Oh, you, you, you don't take communion? Oh, that must mean that you're not really pure. Oh, you believe in that? Well, you've got to believe in this too. There is no end of people who will do that. Guys, you've got to have your, you've got to have your, uh, your flags up sometimes. And realize what is it that's getting attached to the gospel. You make sure nothing gets attached to the gospel. You know why? Because it threatens your salvation. Make sure that never happens. Well, God wants us to follow Paul's example in verse 17. And the way that he guards himself and the way that we are guarded against opposition too is to keep looking upwards. He says, await a savior from there. Verse 20. These enemies of the cross, they're facing destruction. They bow down to their own earthly desires. Verse 19 even says, their God is their stomach. I reckon if there was any picture that would be apt uh, for Adelaideans, it'd be that picture. You know, Our God would be our stomach. Because we are a foodie town, aren't we? Uh, we can very easily spend the days, uh, the nights, looking out for the best food in the region, the best wine in the region, the best festival in the region. Uh, but these guys, that's their very God. That's their very God. They, they're looking at satisfying their own desires, their fleshly desires, instead of honoring God. They might boast in themselves, but God will end up giving them shame, it says. If the Philippians were worried about circumcision, Paul says, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body in verse 21. Guys, that's not saying that you're going to look like a supermodel. Uh, but it will say, it means that we're going to have the imperishable body just like Jesus, fit for eternity. Don't think about the marks that you're supposed to have as if that's what gets you to heaven. No, 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 your bodies are going to get renovated anyway. I've been trying to encourage us uh, through this series to think, to, uh, to use God's words and pray it back to him. Uh, because I guarantee you, you do that, it kind of means that God knows what, what to expect. <laughs> and God knows that, that, that it's pleasing to him. So I'm going to do that right now. And I'm going to use the words of chapter 3, verse 20, and so on, uh, uh, before we move on to chapter 4, okay? Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise that our citizenship is in heaven. And Father, we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks that the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, well, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We thank you for that. And we await a Savior from there in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, we've had a look at the uh, the opponents. We've had a look at the uh, what what the enemies of the cross look like. Well, it's time to have a look and see why why is Paul smiling all the time? Why is he rejoicing all the time? <clears throat> well, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Uh, chapter four, verse four. This is Paul so tremendously thankful for his fellow co-workers, the Philippians. They are his joy and crown, his brothers and sisters. He is so encouraged by their progress and their partnership. Yeah, it's, it's not as if they are perfect. They need some encouragement in progress too. So he exhorts Euodia and Syntyche to be united. Remembering in, the, in chapter 2, we are to value each other humbly like Christ as people united to each other. And so they're to honor people who gave up much for the, uh, the advance of the gospel. They're to help these women. They're to help people like Clement. They too are co-workers whose names are in the book of life in verse 3 of chapter 4. It's the same book that's mentioned in Daniel 12. We read, we read Daniel 12 for our Old Testament reading. Those whose names are in that book, they look forward to being delivered, saved from the time of distress, it says. Everyone is going to rise from the dead. I'm trying to remember whether you guys know that, right? No, it's not just Christians that are going to rise from the dead. Everyone's going to rise from the dead. And what happens here in chapter 12, it says, uh, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will, will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt, according to Daniel. Uh, these co-workers of Paul, they are going to escape the everlasting judgment and instead have everlasting life. Friends, we too have our names in that book of life. We who have been taken hold of by Christ. Friends, if you are here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, uh, can, I, can I get you to check out that book? Have a look at what that book is saying and how much life it is offering. God is wanting not shame and destruction for you. He wants life for you. If you've got questions about that, come and find me. Come and find one of the leaders. Come find Kerry. We'd be happy to open the Bible with you and show you who Jesus is. One of the things that I, that, that I benefit from from in the city uh, is all the nations coming to our doorstep. Uh, and there are plenty of people who come from all over the globe and they, they actually want their names in Australia's book. Okay? Uh, because when they, when they think about the, uh, the life of God back home, uh, some of them take incredible lengths in order to escape their home uh, and because of the threat they have back home. I know a couple uh, who's from Iran and uh, they, uh, the husband became a Christian. Uh, can you imagine, right? From Iran, how do you go about hearing about Jesus? Uh, what happened was that he had a friend, talked to him, and this has got to be really, really sensitive, right? Like, so he couldn't just be talking out loud like this about Jesus. He was talking like this in whispers. Who is this Jesus? And praise God, he became a Christian. Now, if you know anything about Iran, you become a Christian in Iran, your life is in danger. And so what he had to do was that he had to give up everything. He gave up his work. He gave up his home. He gave up his, well, his life as he knew it, and he ran. He took his wife along, who was just <clears throat> finishing off high school at that point, and he ran. He ran to the shores 
of Australia. Now, have you ever met these two? They have a huge smile on their face. Because not only have they escaped the threats that they have back home, to come to a place where they can proclaim their faith openly and to enjoy the, 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 the opening and praying with each other, they not only do that, but they have, the, the, they have smiles on their faces because look at that. Look at the place that we live in. Do you hear any bombs going off? Do you have any shooting going on? None of that. They were so happy to have their names in the books of Australia. But even more so, they were so pleased to be on the books of life. It is proper paradise, guys. There's actually a, um, there's actually a suburb I found when I came to Adelaide, right, called Paradise. You know this? <clears throat> I thought, I could have checked this out. I reckon every, every pastor must have had a look at Paradise, right? We drove ourselves to Paradise and went, this doesn't look like paradise to me. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's a really good coffee shop for them, maybe. And there's some trees and stuff, but that's not paradise. There is paradise waiting for us. It's better than Mount Barker, guys. That's got to put a smile on our face. You kind of wonder why, why Paul is rejoicing all the time. This is the reason. He knows about paradise. Now, we get to the next section, right? And as a pastor, I, I certainly have plenty of opportunities to chat with people who struggle uh, as we wait for the actual paradise. Uh, people who feel so low, they just can't get out of bed. Those whose bodies are broken or progressively just shutting down. There are ones whose anxiety makes them freeze up. New Christians who are just fearful of parents and housemates. I've got this, this, uh, this, this young, young person, <clears throat> and she became a Christian, and she lives in a, in a household uh, where their dominant religion is actually Islam. So she goes home every day in fear, trying to work out how she's going to live as a Christian in a home. And I'm trying to work out how to pastorally care for this person. There's those of us who, who find it difficult to stand up for our convictions in our workplace because it's becoming more and more hostile. So sometimes I read verses 4 to 7, and I wonder how it would go down if I spoke those words in the middle of their suffering. So let me read verse 4 to, to 7 for you. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, in every situation, by prayer and by petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I mean, if you were struggling, how would you feel if, if you heard those words from your brother or your sister in Christ? I, I'm usually conflicted. I'll tell you what. I'm usually conflicted because on one hand, I haven't gone through what you've gone through. I haven't gone through what they've gone through. I have not had to escape from the firing line. I've not had to be in your situation, in your workplace. 
having the health issues that you might be having, having the struggles that you might be having. So I feel conflicted and I go, who am I in the midst of your suffering to say rejoice in the Lord always? And so you know what my approach has been? My approach has been to refer you to Jesus. Guys, I might not have experienced all that, but Jesus has. Jesus knows what it means to be threatened and beaten and mocked. Jesus knows what it means to be abandoned by his followers, forsaken. Jesus knows what it means to undergo death. If anyone knows what you are going through and more, he does. He does. The Lord Jesus, he is near you. He is near me. And he wants to guard your hearts and minds with the peace of God. And that's not, that's not, talking, that's not just talking about taking away your anxiety. I, I don't think that's going to happen totally until Jesus returns and we're in his kingdom, in his presence. <clears throat> no, it's talking about keeping you right with God. Kept in the book of life. Kept citizens of heaven with a glorious body awaiting resurrected, bowing before Jesus, God's work completed in you, pure and blameless. That is what God's peace is doing in us. He is keeping us with him. There's a dear sister back, uh, <clears throat> back down in the city, and she's been considering mission to China. Now, I don't know whether you've ever <clears throat> been hearing the... Uh, the news, the updates recently about China and about how <clears throat> um, they are slowly, systematically kicking out any foreigners, especially if they've got any links to do with Christianity. I mean, those are the ones that go first. <clears throat> but here we have our, our sister who's actually from China, and she has a wonderful heart for her, for her family there, for her friends there. And she... I remember her having to tell me, <clears throat> if I'm going to be a missionary, I actually don't know whether I can tell my parents. Because if I were to tell my parents who's living in China, they'll get in trouble. They, their lives might be under threat. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having to go overseas and think, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, share the gospel with them. It's not just my life at stake. It's going to be my parents as well. And my brother. And my sister. And my nephew. She's just been there for a, for a holiday. And she has to have that chat with them. <laughs> but you meet her. She doesn't have her face downcast. She doesn't have the fear in her eyes, although she's thinking it. What you, what you see when you meet her is joy. She's one who has lived out these verses. To truly know what it means to rejoice in the Lord, no matter what. No matter what. Friends, cast your anxiety upon Jesus. If I were to say to you, cast your anxiety upon me, uh, you've got problems. <laughs> but friends, we've got Jesus you can do that with. 
And he's not going to drop you. He's not. The last part of this letter has this really warm picture of how the Philippians partnered with Paul in a very practical way. But as you think through the practicalities, don't miss the point. The point is, Paul wants to bring this home. He's been kind of laboring this throughout the pages of Philippians. And here's the point. The point is, God is the one who gives you strength. God is the one who gives you strength. There are heaps of people who are impressive in this letter. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's Epaphroditus, the Philippians. But it's been God who has been at work in them. Remember this? Chapter 2, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. See, the Philippians, they knew this. And yet what they do is they send Paul aid and gifts. They send him money. <clears throat> they send Epaphroditus you know, in a, in, 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 to bring that money along to him, to care for Paul's needs. Because it, being in prison in those days, as Paul was, uh, it's not like you know, today's kind of prison. I actually looked it up. You can get a TV in, in prison. <laughs> That's a cafeteria. You get, you get a bit of a, a spending allowance in prison. Uh, even in the women's prison, there's, there's cosmetics. How about that? You get a bit of lippy. When you, go to, when you go to prison. That was not the kind of prison that Paul was in. They were not the kind of chains that he was in. He, if he wanted food, his family had to provide it. Or his church would have to provide it. And so the Philippians came to his rescue. And Paul is really appreciative. Especially when it wasn't the first time that the Philippians have shown such support. But Paul knows it's ultimately God who provides. And so he has trained himself to trust in God, whether living in plenty or in want, verse 12. It's not that Paul can expect to have plenty of food on tap, but that he has learned to trust whatever God gives. It's not only, it, it's not only the will of God to provide what Paul wants. No, actually, he doesn't do that. He provides what Paul needs in verse 19. But he also provides for the Philippians. God will meet all your needs, he says, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Guys, it's been a, <clears throat> it's been a wonderful pleasure to be able to partner with you. You know that's the reason why I'm here, right? It's the reason why Tim will come next week. It's the reason why there'll be a steady flow of you know, uh, preachers who will come and preach here. Uh, that person at the back there, Sally, she gets worried. Because, you know, there might not be a preacher in a couple of weeks' time. But don't worry, we've got your back. There are plenty of preachers in the network. Don't you worry about that. We're doing this because we are partners with you. We're doing this because we know that we have brothers and sisters in the hills. Not only because we want to drive up the mountain, <laughs> but because we know that we are striving together. We are partners in Christ. We are co-workers together for the sake of the gospel. Friends, let me, um, let me encourage you. <clears throat> we've, prayed, we've prayed for some of your mission partners today already. We've prayed, we've prayed for the clients. Um, there's going to be uh, the, uh, uh, the rows that you'll pray for as well and the, the jerseys. Uh, but can I, can I encourage you to keep on partnering with them? They are in immensely difficult places to, put, to, uh, to share the gospel in. Friends, if you have never thought about, <clears throat> if you have not taken that step yet to partner with them, to partner with them in prayer, 
to partner with them in finances. Can I please encourage you to do that? They need us. Because they too, like, the, 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 like Paul, they are dependent upon God. And the way that God is working to provide for them is through his church. So can I encourage you to do that? I'm going to encourage you to do one more thing as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe the uh, mountain air wasn't as good as I thought. Let me encourage you to keep partnering with one another for the gospel work here in Mount Barker. I kind of say this with freedom because I'm not going to benefit any cent from this, okay? So can I just encourage you to partner with each other in making sure this doesn't just survive, but that it progresses? Because I've got your health in mind because as you do so, you grow. As you do so, you mature. As you do so, you look outwards. Because I've got my eye on the Mount Barker people too. And there are plenty more people in Mount Barker that can fit in this room. Please keep on partnering financially with each other. Be praying for one another. I, met a, uh, I just met today <clears throat> a lovely lady here um, who took my word. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago I said, if you want to go and, um, and share the gospel with people, it's really hard to do it alone. You need, you need a buddy. Go and find a buddy, right? Can be anybody. And what you're going to do is you just got to pray together and you got to encourage each other. And then you just got to try. And then you come back and pray with each other. And you just got to try. Well, I've met someone who actually took that on board. You know, that kind of warms a pastor's heart. Thank you for listening. Keep going. Go find your buddy. Because there's lots of people out there they need to hear <clears throat> that there is more There's more to this earth. There's more to us than just the food that we eat. Let's not just let them keep on digging around manure. There's a pony in there. Go and show it to them. Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise that, Father, our citizenship is in heaven. That, Father, we are awaiting a Savior from there. And Father, you are going to transform our bodies. We give you praise for our partnership in the gospel, that we are co-workers together. And Father, you have made us such. So Father, we pray that you would draw us to Jesus, that you would draw us together, that you would draw us to a world that needs, that needs Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.